0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Another week at home. (laughs) (laughs) That's just how we're starting each and every single one of the recordings.
1: (laughs) Well, it's weird because last week we actually, and I don't know if for our listeners, they'll hear this after or before, but we did do a recording where Vicki and I were actually in person, which was really nice. And now we're back to being behind
0: screens. (laughs) Exactly. In the comfort of our own homes. That's the the positive, I guess, that we need to start seeing. Yeah, that's Um, true. But I'm going to cut the chit chat because I am beyond thrilled with today's guest, Dr. Ross Green. You guys, it's just going to be like, yes, 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 when you're listening to this. Dr. Green, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So, can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of background about who you are and what you do?
2: I am a clinical psychologist, I live in Freeport, Maine. I am probably best known for my books, The Explosive Child and Lost at School and Lost Unfound and, and Raising Human Beings. I am the founding director of the nonprofit Lives in the Balance, which is where we have vast free resources on the collaborative and proactive solutions model that I described in those books, but where we also advocate on behalf of kids with concerning behaviors and their caregivers. And Mm -hmm. try to help people solve problems with kids rather than give them detentions and suspensions and expulsions and paddlings and restraints and seclusions and stickers. Mm -hmm. So that's what I spend most of my waking hours focused on.
1: We need it because, I mean, I feel like a broken record sometimes when I'm talking about this with IEP teams or with parents or even just with people in general, when we talk about behavior and whether they're talking about their kids or like they see other kids, I mean, we always see the classic example of people who observe other people's kids acting in a way that they don't believe they should be in the grocery store on an airplane or whatnot. And there's always people quick to jump to conclusions about that behavior and placing blame rather than looking at it holistically.
2: Right. I also think that there are big movements out there that are saying, well, that's right, those punitive exclusionary interventions that are focused on behavior are bad. Mm -hmm. We agree with that. But we believe that you should be focused on positive interventions for behavior instead. That would be good. And I don't think that's good either. I think rewarding and punishing is cut from the exact same bolt of cloth, and you're still focused Mm
0: -hmm.
2: on the kids concerning behaviors rather than being focused on solving the problems that are causing those behaviors.
1: Right. Well, I also think that there's a lot of people who say, yeah, these, you know, the punitive and punishment is bad. They'll say that. But then their actions say a completely different thing we see this in iep meetings all the time we say well we're not doing punishment or punitive but the way that they the language they use with the student or the way that they approach how they work with the student is exactly that and i don't think people really real i think they think of the worst case scenario right the kid that's getting you know the severe restraint and seclusion rather than you know, hey, saying that this child can't go out to recess or can't do this or that is the same within the same zone, but they don't realize that it's still in line. They think, well, I'm doing fine because this is different.
2: Well, and I think that once again is because they're still primarily focused on the kids concerning behaviors. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, by my way of thinking, concerning behaviors are simply the way the kid is communicating to us that they're having difficulty meeting certain expectations.
0: Absolutely.
2: If all we do is modify those concerning behaviors, then the kid is still having difficulty meeting those expectations. But if we solve those problems with kids, uh, help them better meet those expectations, then the concerning behaviors subside as well as solving the problems that are causing kids behavior. So it's kind of a two for one deal. It's Mm -hmm. just that Mm -hmm. if all we're focused on is the kid's behavior, the problems remain unsolved.
0: Absolutely. And I think that was the biggest takeaway when I heard you at our annual conference COPA earlier this year, which was, all virtual which was amazing i think that perspective shift that you were talking about and caregivers including those that are at the school site i mean there is a village of people that are surrounding our children and a majority of their day when it's at school those caregivers are the teachers or the aides or the administrators and and the key takeaway of you know what are these challenging behaviors because this is what what happens when we go to IEP meetings what are the challenging behaviors How can we modify them right instead of your take of how are we able to solve the problems that are caught you know the behavior is just a symptom what is the root cause and I think that collaborative approach and not it just being one way right of the administrator the teacher and also being proactive instead of reactive we're Districts are always behind the eight ball, if you will, right? And this is why we're seeing an increase in this crisis where, you know, children are being, police officers are being called to arrest five-year-olds. I remember at COPA, remember that presenter, Amanda, a couple years ago? like yeah. North Carolina, and she said the youngest you know, child that she had helped advocate on behalf was five years old, and he was arrested it, beyond. So can you talk about that collaborative and proactive solutions approach that you yourself developed, Dr. Green? Sure. I mean,
2: it basically brings a few things to the table. As you've already heard, it focuses on identifying the problems that are causing concerning behaviors and solving them rather than on identifying the concerning behaviors and trying to modify them. So in that respect, the behavior is just the signal, just the fever. And quite frankly, that's what concerning behavior is. So in this model, we're not teaching and reteaching replacement behaviors. We are not rewarding replacement behaviors. We sure as heck aren't punishing the behaviors we don't like. We're not focused on behavior at all. And there's a few good reasons for that. One of them you've already heard. If all you're focused on is the behavior, you're still not solving the problems that are causing those behaviors. So what have you really accomplished? But number two, and this is big, the concerning behavior is late. The unsolved problem is causing the concerning behavior, whether that's difficulty sitting next to Susie during circle time Mm -hmm. or difficulty coming back into the classroom from recess or difficulty completing the double-digit division problems on the worksheet in math. That's early. Yep. If we want to be in crisis prevention mode, we want to be focused on what's early. What's early? The the expectation the kid is having difficulty meeting, what we in this model call an unsolved problem, Mm -hmm. and solving that problem Mm -hmm. so that we never find ourselves any later than that. The behavior, concerning behavior, occurs when the kid is having difficulty meeting a particular expectation yet again. What does that tell us? The concerning behavior is late. Mm-hmm. And what we do about concerning behavior is late. Mm-hmm. If, the, if the concerning behavior is concerning enough, we're going to say that the kid is becoming escalated. Now you're mm-hmm. very late. Mm-hmm. And you're going to try to de-escalate the kid yep. very late. And if the de-escalation strategies don't work, you're going to restrain or seclude the kid very, very late.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What's annoying here is that many educators and staff in facilities are trained to de-escalate and restrain and seclude as part of what's called crisis prevention training. Mm -hmm. It is not crisis prevention training at all. It's crisis management training. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thing going on out there. We have lots and lots of people being trained in what is being called crisis prevention. Right. What they're really being trained to do is crisis management. What they really should be being trained to do is how to identify the problems that are causing the kids concerning behaviors because solved problems don't cause concerning behaviors. Only unsolved problems mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And then the other things that the model brings to the table is that the problem solving is collaborative, yep. not unilateral. Yep. And it's proactive, not reactive. Mm -hmm. And there, in a nutshell, is what we help all kinds of schools and facilities do. The icing on the cake is it helps them get rid of restraint and seclusion. Right. It also helps them get rid of suspension, detention, and all these other things we do to kids that are focused on their behavior. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even if a school isn't restraining and secluding kids, but has really high rates of suspension and detention or really high rates of disproportionality, it's still not good. Right. So that's what I spend all my waking hours helping people do.
0: Oh, I just, you're preaching to the choir here, right? I mean, I'm sure you've got so many different comments after Copa. I mean, like I said, it was like going to church, right? And just like, it seems so simple, but Amanda and I go, oh, I mean, now virtually we go into schools and we're seeing the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. And it's the Well, it's the way we've always done things and your approach, it's so simple. (laughs) But for whatever reason, this other way of doing things has just been ingrained in schools. And what the biggest, another big takeaway that I took away that I was hoping that you would talk about as well is you offer solutions. (laughs) You don't just talk about the issues, right? Like you had mentioned your cpsconnection.com where, you know, you can kind of delve into the collaborative and proactive solutions approach. There's workshops, there's trainings. I mean, just even things that you were saying just now, you know, as parents, you can go into IEP meetings and start asking. It may seem like a very simple question. Well, you know, why did he get escalated? You know, and it was like, well, it's during math. Math is not preferred. And it's like, but, why is math non-preferred? I mean, it seems like a very simple question, but sometimes nobody is asking that simple question, right? And I think just being able to take a step back and, you know, something that I've noticed as well is that, you know, after the toddler phase for children, I think adults just expect kids to regulate their emotions on their own, which they have no why. They weren't born with knowing how to regulate their emotions. And then, you know, they get into school. And especially during the pandemic, so many parents are simply overwhelmed. And I wanted to just really bring, not, not to change subject too much, but I wanted to bring up The Kids That We Lose, which I know is the documentary film. Can you talk a little bit more about the, the Kids We Lose?
2: Sure. The Kids We Lose is the documentary film that was produced by Lives in the Balance. My nonprofit, but mm-hmm. not my nonprofit. The nonprofit I co-founded, I founded. Mm-hmm. And what the goal of the kids we lose was for it to be an expose
0: yes.
2: of how horrible it is out there
0: yeah.
2: for kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. And mm-hmm. it's horrible, not only because they're struggling, but because of what we do to them. Mm-hmm. Supposedly, in the interest of helping them, unfortunately, many of the things we do to them are not helpful. The Kids We Lose really does a good job of helping people see just how horrible it is out there for these kids and how brutal it can be. It is not a documentary that is big on solutions because, quite frankly, we really wanted to highlight the problem. Right. But as you said earlier, the nice thing about Lives in the Balance is that it doesn't just highlight what's going wrong out there. It also disseminates a lot of the time for free a model of care, mm-hmm. uh, collaborative or productive solutions that is evidence based. So it's not just that we're complaining. It's not just that mm-hmm. we are pointing out what's wrong. We are also providing a solution for people. And that's a good thing, too.
0: Absolutely. And I thought Amanda was going to say something. And, you know, being able to watch a documentary film like The Kids We Lose, it just. And we do this, right? So Amanda and I see this every day. But I think what was done so well was the way that, you know, the children were part of the film as well, right? Giving their opinions of of things that have happened. Obviously showing, you know, behaviors that are in the school footage. You know, a lot of schools have you know, cameras and things like that. And just really exposing the way that we treat children that we are meant to, we should be giving a little bit of extra care to because they are having a hard right. time. It's, right. yeah. It, yeah. I think
1: a lot of people don't realize the severity of it. So I definitely, I mean, documentaries serve that purpose and, you know, all across the board of, you know, exposing and providing more information to people. Cause like, I think even a lot of parents don't realize exactly what's happening in the schools you know just this past year there's been a lot of talk about um, police uh, in general but specifically I know in California um, LAUSD had a big um, discussion about the policing in schools and you know they even took away funding to try to take away some of the police officers in the schools because The severity at which these police officers go into the schools, you know, they call themselves school resource officers in many cases, but they don't serve as what you would think a school resource officer should do. They serve as, as police. They're handcuffing children. They are taking them and interrogating them without their parents. And schools are letting them do this. Schools are partnering with police departments to do this. And it's something that, like, whenever I have a conversation with someone about this, they're like, no, that's, like, that only happens in a couple of cases. And I go, no, it's happening all over the place, a lot more than people think.
2: A lot more than people think. And, of course, with school resource officers, a big part of the problem is that their role has been ill-defined mm-hmm. in many places. Mm-hmm. But if, yes. you, if you put law enforcement in schools then you can expect that there will be a lot of referrals to law enforcement from schools and a lot of school arrests and i got to mm-hmm. tell you referring a kid to law enforcement or arresting the kid is not going to solve any of the problems that are causing the behaviors that cause people to think that a police officers get involved in the first place right so kind of like you reap what you sow if you put law enforcement in a building you're going to get law enforcement in your building mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, a lot of the times we're dealing with the school to prison pipeline and, you know, people like to compartmentalize things. Right. School to prison pipeline is different from the socioeconomic issues that, you know, different schools are part of that is different from, you know, just the way that black and, and brown kids are, you know, incarcerated at a higher rate or, you know, whatever. And it's like it's not all just these separate little boxes, it all comes together. And one of the things that then and I really try to do in our line of work is take that holistic approach. And I mean, we're attorneys, right? We know the law. But through this podcast, and through just our personal networking, we've been able to meet so many great people that have been able to provide certain insights. And what I had just appreciated most and why I wanted you on the podcast, it was just so nice to kind of hear the issues laid out as they were and to get a breath of fresh air, because sometimes it just feels like you're just going up against these waves and just getting, you know, clobbered Uh Um, and to hear somebody and to have, you know, the resources that lives in balance is able to provide and just the workshops and training and you had even indicated that there was a pdf that that one could download on your website which i believe that we did (laughs) and it's just so it's in plain english and it just makes sense i know i keep saying it just seems so simple but i think you just you really bring life to it in a way that i don't think others you know they may necessarily miss the mark with certain things And I, you know, everybody's all about evidence-based and things like that, but when you actually are able to kind of implement it, and just even with your own children, whether they have social-emotional issues or not, I think is a huge shift in perspective. I think that acknowledging that behavior is a form of communication is major. Like, I've never been in an IEP meeting and have had an administrator say that. It's always, you know, this behavior is a problem. How can we change it? And I think, you know, your approach is one that is just so helpful. And, you know, we've been bringing it to the forefront since we've, <laughs> since we've heard your, your presentation. What else is your nonprofit doing to kind of, I mean, outside of everything that we had said, are you planning on any more documentaries? Are you planning, is your focus right now just on those kind of virtual trainings? What are you doing moving forward?
2: Well, we provide lots of resources for people who want to know more about the collaborative and proactive solutions model. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I'm even more excited about these days are our advocacy efforts. We are about to launch not only a new website, and by the way, for people who want to watch The Kids We Lose, right now they'd actually have to buy a copy, but when the new website launches in two or three weeks, they can actually watch the documentary on the Lives in the Balance website at no cost. So that's cool. But we're about to launch a major public awareness campaign to bring attention in the same way that the film did to what's being done to kids. So it's sort of another way to reach people and what we can do about it. You know, as I always say, it's really nice when compassion and humanity is evidence-based. And collaborative and productive solutions model is evidence-based. It's not punitive. It's not exclusionary. It's proactive. It's collaborative. It's really nice when compassion is evidence based and that's what we've got to get out there
0: mm-hmm.
2: so we are building a grassroots advocacy network of people of like minds who want to get it done in their states and in their provinces, and we are providing with the resources that they need to get it done we're actually going to have a boilerplate keeping all students safe act that can be put in that people can um submit as bills in their state legislatures oh wow so that we can you know wouldn't it be great even if the keeping all students safe act doesn't get passed at the federal level Mm -hmm. i think we'd be okay if it got passed in every state yeah (laughs) so you know that would still accomplish the mission so that's what we're doing you know it's quite the undertaking but worth it
0: Absolutely. absolutely worth it yeah Please let us know how we can help with that. <laughs> we'll email you after because it, it is definitely worth, worth fighting for. And I think awareness, you know, that was one of the reasons why we started the podcast is wanting to bring kind of awareness of these issues and really bring forth, you know, that the unique needs of every, you know, child exists. And we need to move beyond just acceptance of that and really go to understanding. And I think. You know, under understanding is that compassion, seeing the child not just as a problem that needs to be solved, and oh it's it's not going to be solved here. let's just put him into the jail system, but rather, okay, what is it that this child needs? And I don't know how that got lost <laughs> I you know, in our educational system, but I'm so grateful for people like yourself and everyone at your nonprofit for moving the fight forward i mean the, the I'm- problem- thank you
1: so much for being here
0: and talking <laughs> to our good. listeners and
2: talking to us <laughs> i was going to say that the problem of course is that what we think a kid needs has been being viewed through certain lenses for a very long time yeah and they were not necessarily helpful lenses and they were lenses that sometimes justified mm. harsh punitive exclusionary treatment of kids mm. so that's why as you both know well because of the presentation you heard me give there's a paradigm shift needed, Yes. but I guess the ultimate message is this. We don't have to accept the status quo of how we're treating mm-hmm. our most vulnerable kids. These things, We can do something about it. We don't have to accept it, and there's an evidence-based model that can actually help people make it happen, so all that stuff's good.
0: Absolutely, and right on your website, kids do well if they can, and we are there to try and create that opportunity for them. and. I think, like I said, it's a very simple approach and it's that perspective shift that I think would do well and has done well in many instances. And we're bringing that forth in in the work that we do every day. So, yeah, we'll help in whatever way we can on a bigger level. But we hope you listeners enjoyed this conversation. Please check out. We'll have it in the show notes, see if it connection.com. We also mentioned Lives in the Balance, which is livesinthebalance.org, and obviously the is where you can find the documentary as well as pretty much anywhere you watch your movies, Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, Dr. Green, is there any other way people can contact you? Is the website the best? Is there an email? Um, why don't you tell our listeners?
2: The websites are the best. And I just want to mention one more website is oh, yes. our newest from Lives in the Balance. It's truecrisisprevention.org. Oh, okay. Which is where we offer ex- completely free resources to help schools and facilities do what they need to do to eliminate the use of restraint and seclusion. So that's truecrisisprevention.org. But people can get a hold of me through the contact form on any of the websites, and that's probably the best way to do it.
0: Excellent. Please reach out if you have any other questions for Dr. Ross Green. Thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. I was fangirling a little bit, I had too much <laughs> caffeine. But we hope you listeners enjoyed, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.